Welcome to the Truths Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Benitez, and I want to welcome every single listener from Miami to Iowa to England, uh, from Bahrain. It's amazing what the Lord is doing, and uh, I want to welcome everyone. You guys are all a part of the Truth family, and it's only getting bigger and bigger. So I want to thank you guys. And Jesus is at the center of everything. So welcome. Today, if you've been following us, we're continuing part two. And I have a suspicion that you're very at like expecting that there's an anticipation to hear more about the tithes and tithing under grace. And there should be. There, you know, the Bible says in Jeremiah. I found your words, I ate them, and it was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You know, when you listen to a minister, it's very interesting that it says, I found your words, and it was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. When you listen to a minister, it does not say that when I found your words, I felt condemned, and I felt very, like, self, I need to look within, you know, judge yourself so that you will not be judged. If I felt very condemned and guilty and, you know, I, I needed to do something. I felt very burdened. No, no. It says, I found your words and they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So I have a feeling that you are in high anticipation and you should be. We're going to continue this part and uh, dig a little bit deeper into the mystical, mysterious question. Is there tithing under grace? If you didn't listen to the first episode, I really highly suggest that you would listen to it. Honestly, you can probably listen to this episode and then go back and listen to the first one because everything is timeless when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit. But as I mentioned in the previous episode, I'm going to begin the introduction about 10 minutes with some proverbial wisdom. Anthony, what is that? I didn't go to Bible school. Some wisdom from the book of Proverbs. As I mentioned in the previous episode, not everything in the Old Testament is law. And in the New Testament, there was so many scriptures that were quoted from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs. In fact, as you grow and mature in the Lord, one sign of maturity is that you begin to teach and you begin to see how Jesus taught and what he saw. The Bible says that as they walked to the road of Emmaus, that Jesus himself began to expound everything, beginning at Moses concerning himself. And Paul the Apostle began to teach out of the even the Levitical law. So that is a, a very key indicator that you are growing in the Lord. That when you open your eyes, and you read Malachi, you read Genesis, you read Leviticus, you read the story of Jonathan and David, you see Jesus. That is a key indicator. You are growing in the Lord. So I want to congratulate you and let's get into it. Proverbs 18 verse 20. Today we're going to talk about something that it's going to be very, very helpful to you. Many of us have come out of the Word of Faith circle, out of charismatic churches, and maybe, like me, you kind of had a question mark 
to everything that you were taught. But I want us to really always stick with the word of God. A tactic of the enemy is for you and I to be offended. In fact, the verse before, <laughs> I'm reading it right now, I'm looking at the Bible. The verse before eight, uh, Proverbs 18.20, it says, An offended brother is harder to win than a fortified city. And disputes are like the bars of a castle. An offended brother is harder to win than a fortified, than a secured city. That is a crazy statement. And a tactic of the enemy is for you and I to be offended. An offended brother is harder to win than a fortified city. Proverbs 18 verse 19. That is phenomenal. So I want to talk about the, how do I say this? The confession of our words, what we speak. And again, we need to grow and realize that what the scriptures say, it, it's, it's the truth. No matter if you got burned, no matter if you feel offended, if you feel, you know, kind of butthurt about whatever it is, the Bible is the Bible. It is the word of the living God. It is final. So Proverbs 18 verse 20 says this, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. New King says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce, the revenues, the product of his lips shall they be filled. Amplify says, a man's stomach will be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. He will be satisfied with the consequence, good or bad, of his words. One more translation. From the fruit of the mouth of from the fruit of the mouth of one's stomach is satisfied. The yield of the lips brings satisfaction. That one kind of sucked, didn't it? A man's stomach is filled with the fruit of his mouth. That's good. A man's stomach is filled with the fruit of his mouth. With the harvest of his lips, he is satisfied. The very next verse, verse 21. I'm sure we've heard this before, but this is a truth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If you read the book of Proverbs, there is so much to say. Proverbs 13 verse 2 says, From the fruit of his lips a man enjoys good things. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, He who guards his mouth protects his life, but he who opens his lips invites his own destruction. Proverbs 21 verse, 20, uh, verse 23 says, He who guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from distress. Proverbs 10 verse 19, When words are many, sin is unvoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Is wise. Jesus said this, Matthew 12, uh, 12, verse 37. Matthew 12, verse 37. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. When your words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. From the fruit of his lips, a man enjoys good things. The fruit of your lips, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So let me elaborate on this. Um, this is something that, like I said, 
The Bible says an offended brother is harder to win than a fortified city. We cannot simply be remissive and kind of just throw things under the rug because, you know, people have abused it in word of faith and things like that. So we have to realize that what the scriptures say, it is the truth. Your life, your, listen to this, and I'm going to elaborate it from a grace standpoint. Your life is a byproduct of what you are saying in this right now. What you say, two things will, will dictate your life. Two things will dictate your outcome in your life. Two things. Number one is what you believe. Faith. What do you believe? You can confess it, but you don't believe it. It won't work. What do you, what, what do you believe? And the crazy part is that our beliefs are so inter dug into our subconscious, into our hearts, that sometimes we think we believe, but we all we do is we know intellectually, but we believe something else. Your, your belief is, it surpasses your intellectual brain. You can know about grace, but you don't believe grace in your heart. And you can, the Bible says, I, this statement is so phenomenal. If you read in the New Testament, it is bountiful. It says, let no man deceive himself. Let no man deceive himself. Let no man deceive himself. You can know in your brain and in your heart, you don't even believe it. And you're deceiving yourself. That is why the word of God is super important because it cuts between your soul and the spirit. So two things. Number one is what you believe. Number two is what you say. The Bible says in the book of James that your tongue controls your entire body. This is something that you cannot throw. Like, again, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Your life is a, bribe, is a byproduct. The Bible calls it the harvest, your fruit. It is a byproduct of what you believe and what you say. And the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? The mouth speaks. Some people yell. <laughs> out of the, you see how those two are intertwined? Romans chapter 10 says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That word is rich. It means your confession is made unto your deliverance, unto your healing, unto your prosperity onto your well-being. Do you see how these two are intertwined? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. With the heart, man, one believes onto righteousness. With the mouth, your confession is made onto your healing, onto your deliverance, onto your prosperity, onto your success, or onto your downfall. You will have what you say. So this is super important. And I want to close out the introduction, the introduction on with this. You have to realize your confession, I want you to get this, your confession does not make it so. What do you mean? Faith in charismatic and word of faith circles, and again, I have nothing against them, but me as a shepherd, it, it's, it's foolish if you don't know your audience. I know that the majority of my audience, listeners, 80% have coming out, have came from the word of faith circle. So this is relative. In the word of faith circle, it's working, how? By confessing it to be. In, in other words, you only God can create something out of nothing. But in word of faith, we believe we can create that which doesn't exist by our confession. Where is Jesus in all of this? Faith is such that 
Listen, this is very profound. Faith is such, faith is allocating that which has already been done by grace. It is written in in Romans. I don't know why I said it is written, like if I'm rebuking a devil. <laughs> in, in the book of Romans, the Bible says, it is, therefore it is by faith that it might be by grace. Faith and grace. Abraham, faith. Grace, Sarah. It is by faith that it might be by grace. It is through grace, through faith that it might be by grace. Abraham and Sarah. We're getting deep in here. So I, I, I pray that the Lord's opening your eyes right now. So in word of faith and charismatic is we think we are God. Only God that's, that's uh, uh, to create something out of nothing. It is we create. How did you get that airplane, brother? By faith. Really? I thought Jesus paid for it by grace. And, and your, your faith, all your faith does is allocate that which has already been done by grace. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Abraham, faith. Sarah, grace. So your faith is not, your faith doesn't produce your healing. You're, you are already healed. That's grace. It is already done. And your confession allocates that which has already been done by grace. You see the very difference? Because then what we think is I'm confessing to be. But you're not confessing to be. You are confessing because you are. You are confessing because you is. You are confessing because it has been done. That's grace. Word of faith and charismatic is I'm confessing to be. That means it's not done yet. That means where is Jesus? That, that's, it's a little harsh, but that's anti-Christ. That's anti the finished work of the cross. You, in essence... Just like the children of Israel, when God gave them, when God gave them the solution, which was the serpent on the bronze pole, which is a type of Jesus, what, what did the children of Israel end up doing? They ended up worshiping the solution. But the solution was pointing you to Jesus. So what happens is, if we're not too careful, in religious circles, we make the tool our God and where is Christ? Nowhere to be found. So Jesus has finished it all. Jesus has healed you. Jesus has made you rich. Jesus has delivered you. Jesus has done it all. Your faith, your confession, simply allocates that which has already been done by grace. But if you don't open up your mouth to say it, that which has already been done stays in the storehouse. Do you get what I'm saying? So I want to wrap it up with that. I mean, I can do a whole teaching on that, but I, I, I pray that that blessed you. Let's get into tithing. I want to begin with... Um, Malachi chapter 3. Damn, we're, we're, we're just like going into it today, right? Malachi chapter 3. Now, I want to focus on two things right now. Number one, we have to understand that the Old Testament prophets, a lot of them prophesied of the time of Jesus' first coming. They prophesied of the time of the church. And they prophesied even the time beyond the church, the millennium. Malachi 
we're going to read Malachi chapter 3 and, and get into it. If you didn't hear the first episode, there is tithing under grace. Absolutely, yes. Do you have to tithe under grace? No, you get to. By revelation, you see, everything in the kingdom of God, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Everything in the kingdom of God is such that it is done by righteousness of faith. It is by faith. It is of faith. It is righteousness of faith. So in other words, when we begin to read the scriptures and realize reality, realize when our eyes are open by Jesus, what has been done when we see the light and we begin to appropriate that which has been seen, that's faith. So if you see that you are healed by revelation, then get up out of that wheelchair. That's what Paul did in the book of Acts. He perceived the man had faith to be healed and he said, stand up on your feet. And he did. If you see that you have been delivered from that addiction by revelation, faith by works is what you see it. That's revelation. If you see it, then throw those pills away because you don't need it because you are delivered. If you see that you have been made rich already by revelation, exercise your faith by acting rich because you might think you're a hypocrite, but that's faith. Faith is, it's not, the Bible says, Abraham considered not his own body, now dead, but he gave, he gave glory to God, believing in that which, has, that which God has promised, he is able to bring to pass. So when you see in the scriptures, exercising your faith is acting as if because it is so. You're not acting as if you're rich because you're not rich, but you're just trying to make it happen. So you're trying to act rich, hoping one day you will be rich. No, Reb, this is this is how you manifest the spiritual blessings that Ephesians chapter 1 says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How to take it from the heavenly places into the physical matter is you see it by revelation. And the beauty of it is that there's only one person who can open your eyes, and his name is Jesus. When Jesus opens your eyes to see, and you see, and you exercise your faith because you see the re you see the unseen. That which is seen is temporary; it is subject to change, but that which is unseen is eternal. So when you see the unseen, and you ignore you consider not your body now dead you ignore the natural and you see the supernatural the spiritual will change the physical the natural you see, am i am i am i going over people's heads around so when you see that you're rich and you begin to act as if you carry yourself differently i'm not telling you go buy a ferrari if that's your faith if you see that, if you're if you've seen it, then go ahead. But exercise your faith by littlest things. I was telling my team this. If you're rich, then why are you balking at fifteen dollar valet? If you're rich, why are you balking at an eight dollar valet? If you're rich, why are you balking at a six dollar coffee? Why well, Anthony, I don't have that money. You see? You you're seeing the natural. You're seeing the the we have to understand that 
and we're going deep today, that the natural was created by the spiritual. So the natural is subject to change. But how is it changed when you, the, the way that you change the natural is by seeing it, by revelation, light. And when you see it and you act according to it, because it is so in the spirit, that changes the natural. Abraham began, and we're talking about confession earlier. Abraham, God had to change his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham. And he added grace, the ha, the breath. He added grace, and Abraham means a father of many nations. Sarai, which means domineering one or Lord, had to, the Lord blessed her, took away the law, and blessed her with Sarah which is princess. So Abraham would confess to people, I am the father of many nations. And he had zero children. People will think you've lost your mind. I'm rich, but you're driving a Honda Civic. What do you mean you're rich? But they don't see. Oh, hey, I'm Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. Are you tripping, bro? You have no children. But the promise came to pass. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a princess. Really? Because you do not look like a princess. You see, the spiritual changes the natural. And the, and faith is such that our faith is not making it happen. Our faith simply allocates that which has been gifted by Jesus. You see where Jesus is at the center. Jesus is glorified. Jesus is at the center of everything. Jesus has finished it. Jesus has paid the price. He, he His perfect work on the cross has done it all. And when we see it by light, our faith allocates that which our Lord and Savior has finished on the cross. That is grace. So people who are against grace unconsciously, ignorantly, or even maliciously are against Jesus Christ. Because of his fullness have we received grace upon grace. And he was full of grace and truth. And the Bible says, in Hebrews, that the will, I've come to do your will, O God. This is Jesus talking to his father. I've come to do your will, O God, in that he takes away the first, the law, to establish the second, grace. Those who are against grace are against the will of God. Look it up. It's in Hebrews. I've come to do your will, O God. Which, what is the will of God? To take away the first, that I may establish the second, grace. So grace is at the center of it because grace is a person, Jesus. So everything that has been finished, the, the Lord has gifted me this massive ministry. Well, what do you mean, Anthony? You don't, you only, you, you don't even have, like, what do you mean? But I've seen it. So I'm simply acting as if because I'm exercising my faith and it will come to pass because I'm not trying to make it so. It is so. I'm not trying to be rich. I am rich. I'm not trying to be healed. I am healed. I'm not trying to be delivered. I am delivered. So I act as if. I believe so. I talk that way. I believe so. All these things. So, dang, and we got into faith. <laughs> but this is going to help you. So, tithing. Tithing. All right. Tithing. <laughs> Take a breath. Malachi chapter 3. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Malachi... Chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. 
Even the messenger of the covenant, in whom ye delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. Pause. Park it right there. Is this talking about the first coming or the second coming of Jesus? Because I used to read this, and I said, well, this is the Old Testament. This is this is Malachi, Malachi, and he's talking about Jesus' first coming. So this is already past. Wait a minute. Was his first coming, the Bible says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Is, is he talking about when Jesus came in the form of a man as a baby? The Bible says, the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly. Did Jesus' first coming, was it suddenly? No, it, he was, it, it took 30 years, the natural man's life, a baby, 30 years. Who can endure the day of his coming? Was his first coming wrath? Or was his first coming, according to the book of John, I did not come, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. That's his first coming. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Is this his first coming or second coming? His second coming. So let's drop down to verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you are a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So, so much into this. We've established from the beginning of this chapter that this is not talking about, so this is Malachi prophesying what, first of all, what era is Malachi prophesying about? We've established that the first coming of Jesus was not for wrath. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world but that through him, the world might be saved. The first coming of Jesus Christ was not suddenly. He was born into a he was born into this world as a baby. It was the natural life cycle of a 30-year-old man. He did not come suddenly. He did not come to judge. He, the Bible says, who can endure his coming? He did not come in wrath, the first coming. This is prophesying in context of, of his second coming. And furthermore, this is, this is not only prophesying of when he will come, but this is prophesying of our time right now. So this is saying, this is, pro this is a, a remark. This is talking about when he will come again, the second coming, not as a baby, but to judge the world with a rod of righteousness, the second coming. But it is also talking about our time right now. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Question. This is, I'm going to get to the elephant of the room.
Does God curse you if you do not tithe? No. Read verse 9. The Bible does not say, I will curse you. The Bible says you are cursed with a curse because you have robbed me. Go to, Let's go to Genesis. And just for time's sakes, I want you to write this down and go on your own time. Go to Genesis chapter 1, all the way through chapter 3. Let's look at the fall. The Bible says that cursed is the ground. If you look at the world, if you buy a piece of land, let's say a grass field, question, if you leave it unattended, if you leave it by itself, does it grow into a beautiful rose garden, perfectly trimmed, um, all the hedges perfectly trimmed, uh, everything just beautiful? Or if you leave that earth, that piece of land unattended, does it grow into wild weeds, decay? It becomes a hot mess. You see, the earth, according to Genesis chapter 3, I encourage you to go check it out. The Bible says in the fall of humanity that the ground is cursed. God didn't curse man. He, The Bible says the ground is cursed. He cursed the, the ground was cursed. It is cursed. Even to this day, the ground is cursed. If you buy a piece of land, if you buy, a, let's say, just grasslands field unattended, it does not turn into a beautiful rose garden. If you leave your car unattended, we see that it will continuously decay. Your clothes will decay. Now, again, we're under grace. This is a whole other teaching, but you can supersede that by faith. According to your faith, so be it unto you. But naturally, a piece of land left unattended grows wild weeds and it becomes a hot mess. It doesn't grow into a beautiful rose garden. Hedges perfectly trimmed. No. A car... If you leave, if you leave it unattended, it goes into further decay. Everything is decaying. Every single product, the the trees, everything. This this earth is cursed. The ground is cursed. We see that everything goes into decay. So the Bible does not say that I will curse you because you do not tithe to me. The Bible says you are cursed with a curse. So. That's the first elephant of the room. God does not curse you if you don't tithe. But I do want to submit this to you. The In the book of Genesis, the Bible says the ground is cursed. So everything, the ground is cursed. What is your money made from? Paper. Where does paper come from? The bark of trees. Where do trees come from? From the ground. From the earth which has a curse in it. That's why the ground is cursed. That's why rose gardens before the fall, they didn't have thorns. The ground is cursed with a curse. Since the fall of humanity, look it up Genesis chapter 3. Your paper, everything, your, your, your car, what is your car made out of? I don't know, I'm asking you a question. <laughs> What is your car made out of? What are your clothes made out of? What is your house made out of? What is your washing machine made out of? What is what are the wheels on your car? What 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 is so you you are blessed, friend. Do not allow anyone to manipulate you and say you are cursed. No, you are blessed. You are the blessed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are blessed. But the ground is cursed. 
what is where is your money coming from even think about this when you get money from your employer is your employer holy is your employer even if you work for like chick-fil-a you see everything on earth it still has this taint of sin romans the bible says in the book of romans chapter 8 that the entire earth groans and travails waiting for the manifestation of who of you the sons of god the earth groans and travails romans chapter 8 to bring it to the new testament waiting for the manifestation for the bible says all of creation waits for the manifestations of the sons of god for the earth itself read it read romans chapter 8 this is in 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 uh, like 20 something around that I'm telling you to do this Bible study. Read Romans chapter 8. The Bible says that the entire world groans and travails waiting for the manifestation of the Son of God. Because the Bible says, For the earth was made subject unto the bondage of corruption by him, Adam, who was in charge of the entire earth. That's Romans chapter 8. That's crazy. The entire earth was made subject, the Bible says, unto the bondage of corruption. Therefore, the earth is groaning and travailing. The Bible says, for the earth itself, too, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans chapter 8. Read it. The earth was made subject unto corruption by him, Adam. Therefore, the earth groans and travails. For the manifestations of the sons of God. Because the earth itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So Genesis chapter 3, to piggyback that, the earth was cursed. The ground is cursed. But you are blessed. So God does not say, I will curse you. The Bible says, you are cursed. Why? Because you, what you have, the, your income, be it from your secular employer, even from a Christian employer, where does the money come from? It comes from the earth. We just read Genesis 3, and I brought it to Romans chapter 8, which is the New Testament, the manifesto of Christianity, that the entire earth has been made subject to the bondage of corruption, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, waiting to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So where does your income come from? Where does where does money come from? The money comes from paper. Where does paper come from? From the bark of trees. The tree is a part of the earth, which the Bible says, Romans chapter 8 and Genesis chapter 3, that it is subject to the bondage of corruption. Everything decays. So you are cursed with a curse if you don't tithe, not because God curses you, because the earth has a curse. You are blessed, but that has a curse on it. Am I making sense here? So what the tithe does, and I'm going to focus on this today. What the tithe does, the Bible says in Romans chapter 11, if the first fruit, if the root, I'm going to look it up right now, if the root is holy, therefore the entire, the entirety is, is holy. Romans, Romans is such an amazing book. If the root... I'm taking the time to look it up. So I've established that the that you're not cursed, that God doesn't curse you. But the, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, not in Genesis. It does say in Genesis 3, but I'm making a point that it's in Genesis and it's all the way into the New Testament. So the earth is in the bondage of corruption until the millennium. 
Romans chapter 11 says, you ready? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. This is a principle that, you, that I pray that you would receive by revelation. I'm going to dive deeper into it. But we realize that you're blessed. You're blessed. God will never curse you. Romans chapter 8, the Bible does not contradict itself. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all to them that are in Christ. Why? Because I love this. John chapter 3 says that in the same exact way, listen to this, because whether I'm talking about tithing, whatever, Jesus is always at the center, if you realize. John chapter 3, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That, that in the same exact way, Jesus said to Nicodemus that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Bible says, and, it, and I, listen to this, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all punishment onto me. The verses before that says, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but that through him, the world might be saved. And if I, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, that word men is italicized, meaning that it was added. It wasn't in the original. Look at the context. If I be lifted up, Jesus says, I will draw all of God's wrath and judgment on me. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all to them that are in Christ. Why? Because if I be lifted up, I will draw all of God's wrath. I will draw all of God's condemnation. I will draw all of God's punishment on my body, said Jesus. I will draw all of this judgment on me. If I be, he himself compared himself. I can't help but, but preach Jesus. He himself compared himself to the serpent on the pole. Notice it wasn't a lamb on the pole. What is a serpent a type of sin? If I be lifted up, even as Moses lifted up the serpent on the bronze pole in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all of the punishment. Sig a type is look at the serpent. The serpent signifies sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. This is important for us to understand when it comes to tithing. And I'll tell you why in just a few moments. I'm gonna, the Lord is obviously taking over and there's a beautiful, beautiful parallel that I'm about to just go right into it. You ready? So it's important to understand that there is no condemnation, that a type of Jesus on the cross was a serpent, sin, not a lamb, a serpent, because Jesus who knew no sin, he became sin. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all of God's judgment and wrath upon me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all to them that are in Christ. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law that brings condemnation, which is the law of sin and death. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself said that in the same exact way, the serpent, a type of sin, was lifted up. He who knew no sin became sin. 
that if I be lifted up, I will draw all of God's wrath upon my body, which he did. Therefore, there is no more punishment for you. Why is this important? Malachi chapter 3 says, test me on this now. Try me and see if I, listen to this, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You ready for this? Where is this language found in the Old Testament? In Noah. The Bible says that the windows of heaven were opened. So, which was after what? The judgment. Meaning, test me on this and see if I will not open to you the windows of heaven. Meaning, these windows of heaven are open, but it is, it is only when you see... The judgment that was already fulfilled in the same exact way that in, in Noah's time, the windows of heaven were opened after what? Meaning the, the judgment, the judgment was filled. The windows of heaven were opened. So when we see the judgment of God, the full judgment and wrath of God on the body of Christ, the windows of heaven are open because it is only after judgment. Only when you know your debt has been paid that you can give to God as a tithe and offering. Because if you owe God something, then what you are giving him is not a gift, but it is a debt that is owed. It is a loan servicing. It is, I owe you something. But when you realize that all your sins have been paid and removed, when you realize, like I, like I mentioned, that I will draw all of God's wrath upon my body, said Jesus. Then when you give, you're not giving from condemnation subconsciously. You're not giving out of fear. You're not giving because I owe God something because I was, after all, I was a drug addict. After all, I stole from my dad $5,000. After all, I stole from that company $10,000. So after all, it's only right for me to give God $1,000 a month for my tithe. No, no, no. When you see... Just like in Noah's time, that the judgment has been filled and the windows of heaven were opened. In the same exact way, when you see that the judgment has been, has been fulfilled in the body of Jesus Christ, then will you see, and the Bible says, test me on this now, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that, you, that there will not be room enough to receive it. When you see that your debt has been paid, you can give to God, not out of fear or condemnation, but realizing your debt has been paid and there is nothing between you and your Holy Father. And you give out of grace. Did you, did you see that? And that was the Lord, because I, I, I didn't know how to... I saw it in the beginning when I began to teach, but I didn't know how to put, there's so much to this. So number one, God doesn't curse you. We have established that Jesus bore the entirety of your wrath, of God's wrath against you from your past sins, your present sins, and your future tense sins. Because God is outside of time. God created time. That, that way he supersedes time. Because the creator is always superior than the created being. He created time. Therefore, God supersedes time. To a point where you believe in Him, He has seen, the Bible says, for the foreknowledge of God. He made you His election, His selected ones by grace. For He foreknew everything that you would do. He foreknew how much rebellion you would go to until you would finally surrender and say, Jesus, save me.
And he said, I will pay for every one of your sins from your birth till you be with me in heaven. I see everything because I am outside of time and I have paid for every sin. And when you realize that, then you can give tithes and offerings out of love instead of obligation or even out of condemnation. So number one, God will never curse you. But there is Romans chapter 8. The earth, the Bible says, is subject to the bondage of corruption. So uh, Genesis chapter 3 says that God cursed the ground, not man. So where does your paper come from? Where does your bread come from? Where does your turkey come from? Talk about money. Where does your turkey come from? Where does your bread come from? It comes from the earth. The paper comes from the barks of tree. Where does tree come from? But by the earth. So you're blessed, but that which you hold in your hand comes from something that is cursed. Do you see that? So how to sanctify? It, I find it very interesting that Jesus in the Gospels, money is never ever even in the New Testament in First or Second Timothy, money is never ever mentioned as righteous money. Or like, you know, money is just an inanimate object that if it's in the right hand, it's blessed. But if it's in an evil man's hand, it's cursed. No, the Bible always refers to look it up as filthy lucre, unrighteous mammon. That's what the Bible calls money. The Bible calls money unrighteous mammon, filthy lucre. So question, how to sanctify that? which has come from the earth, which we've established that the earth has been made to the, has been made subject to the bondage of corruption. Romans chapter 11, verse 16 says, you ready? For if the first root is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. I submit to you that a tenth, which means 10%, a tenth, man, there's so much to this. A tenth is a, symbol it signifies everything well you know god has my my entire money but he doesn't want your entire money a tenth signifies everything you ready i'm going a little fast but i believe that the lord is quickening this to you and then you can go back and listen because i want to feed as much meat to you as possible so i'm taking you through this journey you know there's no more curse you're not cursed but the ground is I've taken you through this journey that there is no more condemnation, that the entirety of your of God's wrath against you has been poured out already on the body of Jesus. So therefore, your debt has been settled. You're free. Even if you stole a lollipop when you were five years old, Jimmy, you're free. So now you can give to God, not out of condemnation, but out of love. And we realize that the windows of heaven were open when? After the judgment of Noah's time. And I want to leave you with this. So now you're blessed, but that which you hold in your hand is come from something that the Bible says has been made subject to the bondage of corruption. Romans chapter 11 verse 16 says that the way that, you, the way that something becomes holy is if the first fruit is holy. What is the first fruit? The Bible says, bring all the tithes into my storehouse. The book of Proverbs actually says, bring the first fruits. What is the first fruits? What is the first fruits? A tenth, which is 10%, and I'm going to show you in many different places right now. It's like a machine gun in the spirit. Do you feel it? I'm going to show you that a tenth signifies the entirety. Number one, there was 12 spies in the Old Testament in Israel. 12 spies went into the land. Two spies 
said we can we got if God is for us no one can be against us we can do it if God is with us then we can definitely take on these giants 10 of the spies said no we cannot how do you do are you tripping bro do you see the giants do you see how big their helmets were do you see how big their spears were do you see how big their houses were 10 spies two said yes but 10 said no 10 is the first fruit 10 is the tithe if 10 say no though two said yes 10 10 spies said no in doubt therefore in the entirety of israel fell in unbelief and doubt 10 laws of god 10 laws you think god only has 10 laws there's multitudes of god's laws but 10 signifies the entirety of god's laws so much so that the book of james says if you break one law out of the 10 what is that one out of 10 is what 10%. If you break one law out of the 10, you have broken the entire law. 10% represents the entirety. Do you see that? You break one-tenth out of the 10 laws. <laughs> this is amazing. If you break one-tenth out of the 10 laws, you've broken everything. Because according to God, 10% is the first root. It is the tithe. 10% represents the entirety. 10 spies said no. 2 spies said yes. 10 spies said no. So the entire Israel fell. If you break one-tenth out of the ten laws of God, you break every single law. Abraham's servant, when he went to look for a bride for Isaac, the Bible says that he took a tenth of Abraham's good. Ten camels. Read it. Ten camels. It's in the book of Genesis. It's phenomenal. Ten camels. Ten donkeys. And the Bible says, in the scripture, the next scripture, after he took a tenth of all of Abraham's good, the Bible says that all, all of Abraham's goods was in the servant's hand. But he only took 10% of Abraham's goods. But the Bible says that, he, that all of Abraham's goods was in his hand. 10% represents everything. Another one. Man, do you see that though? That 10%, 10% represents everything. So I, I want us to realize that you're blessed. Well, if you don't tithe, God's going to curse you. No, but your money is coming from something that has a bondage of corruption. The Bible never calls money righteous mammon. The Bible never calls money good lucre. The Bible calls money filthy lucre, unrighteous mammon. How to sanctify that which the Bible calls unrighteous and filthy? Romans eleven sixteen is the answer. If the first part of the dough is holy, so is the whole batch. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Now if the first fruit is holy, also is the lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So 10% represents everything. Joseph. When Joseph's brothers came to visit him, the Bible, the Bible says Joseph told them to bring out the wheelbarrows and take these goods to my father, Jacob, so that Jacob can see that Joseph is alive. <laughs> the Bible says that they took 10 camels, 10 oxen. And furthermore, it says that all of Egypt's goods were with them. How? was all of Egypt's goods with them if they only took 10%? Because 
a principle of God is 10% is everything. So when you give 10% of your income, everything, the Bible says, if the first root is holy, everything is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. When you give a 10%, it becomes, it goes from unrighteous mammon to that which has been blessed and sanctified. And what is holy, listen, the devil cannot touch what is holy. Did you catch that? The devil is unclean. He can touch that which is unclean. You're clean. You are holy. But we've established that you're blessed and righteous. But the Bible calls money unrighteous mammon. The devil is unclean. But when you give 10% of your income, that sanctifies the entirety of your income. Your money becomes clean and holy. And the devil cannot touch that which is holy and clean. Do you see that? In the Gospels, and I want to end with this. In the Gospels, the Bible says there was, this is so amazing. There was the parables of grace. There was a hundred sheep. 99 and one got lost. 100 sheep. What's 10% of 100 sheep? 10. 10% of 100 is 10. Then the next parable, the Bible says there was a lady who had 10 silver coins and she lost a tenth. And only when she lit up a light revelation did she find the tenth. And then what's 10% of 10? One. The Bible calls it the prodigal son. 110 and one. 10 silver coins, she lost one-tenth. Only when the light was lit, and I want to end with this, only when the light was lit could she find the tenth. Why, why did the Bible say 10 silver coins? What does silver represent? Redemption. Coin represents money. Your money being redeemed. By the tenth. <laughs> Do you see that? Do you see that? The light has been lit for you to find the tenth. We, me and Dre were watching this documentary. It's amazing. And um, we were watching how olive oil is, is made. And furthermore, we saw that in the Old Testament... In ancient times, the only way that people had light was from olive oil. Because they used olive oil to light the lamp. Spiritually speaking, light represents revelation. So the olive oil was used for light. And that light, the Bible says that the lady, the woman who lost a tenth, only when the light was lit could she find the tenth. A hundred, ten, and one. Ten percent of a hundred is ten. Ten percent of ten is one. My friend, I want to submit to you this, that God will not curse you. Though the ground, the Bible says the ground is has been made subject to the bondage of corruption. How to sanctify your money. How to make your money holy. Because the Bible calls money unrighteous mammon, filthy lucre. Friend, I'm telling you, when you tithe not out of someone beating you or did did you ever do you do you feel fear or condemnation in what i'm telling you no do you feel the love of god and do you see 
the grace of our Lord Jesus and what he has done. And do you see furthermore that this revelation is the key to perpetual wealth? My last point, the word tithe in Hebrew is masar, M-A-A-S-A-R, masar. That's what, it, that's what the Hebrew word tithe means. Tithe means masar. The, the Hebrew word for rich is asar, A-S-A-R. So write it down, write M, even on your phone, write M-A-S-A-R. And then put equals tithe. And then write asar, A-S-A-R, equals rich. The riches, the riches are inside the tithe. Literally. The Hebrew word was the language that was created by God before the Tower of Babel. The Hebrew word is so rich in pictures and depictions and symbols that I pity those who frown upon types and shadows because the Hebrew word is full of types. The Hebrew language is full of types, shadows, and symbols and pictures. So the Hebrew word for tithe is masar, and yet the Hebrew word for riches is asar, which is the word inside of the word tithe. You see, God hides these revelations from those who do not have a heart for it. God hides. God, Jesus Christ, hid. Jesus hid his deity from those who didn't have a heart to see him. And yet Jesus revealed his deity to those who had a heart to see who he was, the Son of God. In the same exact manner, revelation is such that when those, this is the magnificence of the wisdom of God that revelation is such that only those who are thirsty and humble can see and friend if your eyes see blessed are your eyes for they see because you have a heart for this and when you begin to exercise your faith by tithing not by obligation but by revelation friend the riches the word rich is inside the tithe so I want to leave you guys with that and uh Stay tuned. We'll continue our beautiful journey on tithing. And uh, I'll see you in the next one. Hey, guys. We want to thank you for tuning in. We pray that this quickened your heart. If you'd like to give a one-time or become a monthly partner, visit our website and hit that Give Now button up at the top. We thank you in advance and pray that you continue to receive everything God has already given you by grace through faith.